0: Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church, growing in faith and friendship. Uh, we'll now have our, our Bible reading. Our Bible reading is from Galatians chapter 2 and uh, verses 15 through to 21. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, so we too have put our faith In Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroy, then I really would be a lawbreaker, Great. Well, we, we continue our series through the book of Galatians entitled Freedom in Jesus. And today we're looking at Galatians chapter 2 and verses 15 to 21, which is, which is quite a complicated passage. I mean, it's quite confusing. Uh, it's got a lot of technical terms, which is a compressed truth, uh, and so I'm going to be doing my best to help explain and help you understand this passage, but in, in one level, are we just going to be skimming over the surface, because all of these terms are, are rich uh, in theological significance, and, and in fact, Paul takes the rest of the letter to unpack this bit of the passage. Uh, so the big question, though, the big question in this passage is, how can anyone be found righteous in God's eyes. So in verse 21, which is right at the end of the passage, Paul writes, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So this whole passage is about how do we gain righteousness? Okay, so... Some of you are probably objecting already. Look, look, you've already lost me. Uh, what does righteousness mean? Isn't that just some big theological term? Well, the English word righteousness is, is a bit unfortunate. It doesn't help us much because it gives us the idea of, of moral goodness, of perfection. Uh, and although in the, the word righteousness in the Bible can sometimes have that connotation in certain contexts, More often than not, when the Bible is talking about righteousness, it's talking about relationship. It's talking about being in a right relationship. And so, for example, if if you pay your electric bills to the electric company, you are right with the electric company. Okay, and when I say you write with the electric company, I'm not talking about moral goodness or perfection. I'm talking about you're in a right relationship with the company. You pay your bills, you write with the electric company, you get your electricity. If you don't pay your bills, you're not right with the company, you don't get your electricity. That's righteousness, being in a right relationship. And it's the same for friendship. Um, if you write with your friend, you're there for them. If if you're never there for your friend, if, if you're insensitive to your friend's needs, if, if you're selfish, then because of your record, because of your bad record, you won't be right with your friend. And your friend will probably pull away and you might end up losing your friend altogether. So the big question is how can anyone be righteous In God's eyes. How can anyone be in a right relationship with God? How can anyone be accepted by God? And this is a very important question. This is a hugely important question because everyone is trying to gain righteousness. Everyone. Now again, you might object and say, Now come on, surely surely, righteousness is just some archaic religious word. It's totally irrelevant today. I don't need righteousness. I'm not looking for righteousness. Yes, you are. <laughs> we all are looking and struggling for righteousness. There was an interview uh, with a Hollywood movie director. Uh, and this movie director in the interview said, uh, explained how he never, ever watches his own movies. Never. Uh, when they come out, he doesn't go to see them. If they happen to come on the television, he immediately switches it off. And he said that sometimes what he might do is he might turn the volume down and, and just allow one or two of the images to float over him, just, just to kind of see, and then he immediately switches it off. Why? Why does he do that? Well, he says he, he simply can't bear to, to, to watch his own movies because he sees all the imperfections. He sees everything that went wrong. Uh, he says, I hate that scene. I'm, I'm embarrassed by that scene. I, I don't know why I ever let that scene go through. And he, he just can't bear to watch. Why is that? Why, why can't he bear to watch? Why, why can't some of us bear to look into the mirror? Why, why are some of us working like crazy? We, we're driven to work. We just have to be busy all the time. What's that about? What's going on? We're desperately trying to gain righteousness. Righteousness. It all starts in the first story in the Bible with Adam and Eve. Uh, Right in the very beginning, the first humans, uh, when they decided to be their own masters, they suddenly had a sense that they weren't right with the universe. As soon as they decided to run the universe, they suddenly had a sense of, of being naked and ashamed. They suddenly had a sense that something was wrong. They lacked righteousness that sense of being right with God, that sense of self-worth and acceptability before God. And on a very, very profound level, they had a sense that they were unacceptable. And when all of us are born, we have this sense that something's not right, that there's something wrong, that we are not acceptable, we're not valuable, we're not lovable. And we spend the rest of our life trying to fix that. Now, of course, your, your, your family and your upbringing uh, determines to a large degree how loud that sense of unrighteousness echoes in your ear. Of course. But even if your your child is brought up in the most loving and stable of families, you will soon see how they are driven to fit in. How they're driven to look good in front of their peers. How they're driven to get A's. How they're driven to be beautiful or, or whatever else. You'll see how they start to try and find validation and, and acceptance through the number of likes and comments they have on their Facebook post or their Instagram post. What's that about? They're trying to discover, find righteousness. That's what we look for in our relationships. We want a a beautiful person to find us beautiful. That's what we want from our relationships. That's what we want from work. That's why we can't bear to look. Even atheists are desperately seeking righteousness, a sense of being validated, of being accepted, of being loved. And so the question is, how can anyone be found righteous In God's eyes. Well, we read in verses 15 and 16, Paul writes, We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So over here, we are introduced to our second big theological term, justified. Now, justified, the word justified is closely related to righteousness. In fact, it's a verbal form of the, of the noun righteousness. And, and the word justified comes from the courtroom. It comes from the courtroom where a judge pronounces his verdict. And he will either say you're justified or you're condemned. Okay, so so justified is the opposite of being condemned. To be justified means the judge declares that you are not guilty. You are innocent. They declare that you are in the right. They declare you righteous. And in this passage, we discover that there are are two ways that you can try and seek justification. Either... By the works of the law or by faith in Jesus? Okay, so let's look at works of the law first. What is the what is works of the law? Well, the Jews believed that the way you would be justified, the way you would gain righteousness, was by obeying the law, the, the, all the commandments in the Old Testament. That that would be, if you, if you obeyed all the commandments of the Old Testament, you would gain righteousness. And so if you were really good, if you were sorted, if you were morally great and, and, and perfect, then God would owe you. God would have to accept you, value you, love you, because, well, because you're so sorted and you're so good. And uh, this is the premise, not just for the Jewish religion, this is the premise for all religions. All religions operate on this. If you work really hard, if you're very good, if you're morally good, if you're perfect, then you will gain righteousness. And even non-religious people work on the same premise. They'll say, follow the golden rule. If you treat other people the way you want to be treated, then you will be okay. You will gain righteousness. And the logic makes sense. I mean, it's a reasonable argument. The only problem is Paul says in verse 16, the beginning of verse 16, he says, a person is not justified by the works of the law. And the end of verse 16, he says, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. You see, we'll never succeed. We'll never be good enough. We'll never be perfect. As much as we think we always treat other people the way we would like to be treated, well, we never do that all the time, do we? At least I don't. I get really tired and irritated with people, especially when they do stupid things, like driving too slow or cutting in front of me. I mean, we just never do it. We never succeed. And so as a result, we try to find our validation and our acceptance through our relationships, our work, the number of likes we get on a Facebook post. We're desperate for righteousness. Even even atheists desperately trying to find righteousness but never succeed. We never succeed. But there's another way. And that's through faith in Jesus. We can be justified through faith in Jesus. Now that means it's got absolutely nothing to do with the work we do. It's got, being justified through faith in Jesus has got nothing to do with what we have done and it has everything to do with what Jesus has done on the cross. For on the cross, you see, when we're justified, when we're justified by faith in Jesus, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden we become really good and sorted and perfect. We still make mistakes. We still get things wrong. But on the cross, Jesus takes all our imperfections, all our mistakes upon himself, and he deals with it. So that when God looks at you, he sees brilliance. He sees beauty. He sees perfection. And he declares that you are justified, you are righteous, you are right with him. And and so, as a follower of Jesus, we are simultaneously a sinner and righteous at the same time. Because we are all sinners saved by grace. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Uh, just as the, 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 the Reformation slogan stated, we looked at this a couple of weeks back, Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. You see, Jesus died on the cross so that we could be forgiven, and he paid the price in full. Therefore, there is nothing we need to do nor can do to earn that forgiveness because He's he's already done it all. He's paid the price in full. Christ alone. And this gift of salvation is a free gift. It's free of charge. Grace alone. And the only way we receive this free gift of salvation is through putting our faith in Jesus. Faith alone. That's the gospel. God loves you. He died for you. There is nothing you need to do except receive this free gift through faith. However, there were, (coughs) excuse me, uh, there were some who objected. There were some Jewish followers of Jesus. Who objected? We'll call them troublemakers. These troublemakers half agreed with Paul and they half disagreed. They agreed that you are justified by faith in Jesus, but they believed that soon as you were justified, soon as you were forgiven, surely then you still had to obey the law, all the commandments in the Old Testament, in order to remain acceptable to, with God. You can understand their logic. I mean, if you want to live a life for God, if you want to please God, well, surely you're going to obey all the commands in the Old Testament. Yeah. I mean, you can understand uh, their logic. Uh, Paul's response to this is astounding. Paul, in verse 19, says, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. Wow, okay, let's unpack that slowly. Firstly, he claims he's died to the law. That means he has absolutely no relationship with the law. It has no part in his life whatsoever. That is a huge claim because, I mean, Paul was a devout Jew. His whole life he had found his identity, he's found his whole purpose and his meaning in life was all about obeying the law. Yet he says, He's died to the law. He's died to his old identity. He's died to his old way of life. All of that is dead to him. Why? Why would he do that? Well, he says it was through the law. He's saying it was the law itself that led him to this course of action. It was the law itself that, that told him to die to the law. How does it do that? Well, the law points to Jesus. And Jesus has come and he's fulfilled the law, and therefore the law has no control over us. But more so, if the law points to Jesus, and now Jesus has come, surely in order to truly obey the law, you need to die to the law and follow Jesus, because that's what the law is pointing to. The other reason why he dies to the law, and this is quite uh, quite something. He says, so that I might live for God. Wow. (laughs) Okay, think about that. uh, I'm going to die to the law so that I can live for God. So he's claiming that the law was actually preventing him from truly living from God. Rather than bringing him closer to God, the law was actually preventing him from living for God. How? How does the law do that? Well, when it's all about the law, It's all about rules. It's all about following rules. It's all about trying to to gain your own self-worth and and, and righteousness through what you're doing, that it actually prevents you and stops you from living for God, experiencing the freedom to have a living relationship with God. Now, of course, these troublemakers objected. They claimed that if you died to the law, then surely that just gives you a license to go on sinning as you please. And then that would make Jesus a promoter of sin. That's effectively what they say in verses 17 to 18. Paul responds to that in the most personal way. In verse 20, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, He suddenly switches from we pronouns to an I pronoun from verses 19 to 21. And very personally, he says in verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is a very profound verse. And this is the heart of being a follower of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus is all about being united with Jesus in his death and being united with Jesus in rising to a new life. That is the essence, that is the heart of being a follower of Jesus. And so, when Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, he's not talking about a physical death, obviously. He's not talking about a physical death. He's talking about a spiritual identification with Jesus. He's talking about dying to his ego. He's talking about dying to his old way of life. He's talking about dying to all the ways he had been trying to gain righteousness, his own righteousness, all the ways he'd been trying to find self-worth and acceptance. He's saying, I'm dying to all of that. that. That's no longer part of me. Rather, Jesus is now living in me. The Holy Spirit is now coming into me so that I can live for Jesus and everything I do now is for Jesus. You see how this new way of living doesn't lead to someone sinning more. Because you die to your old self, you die to your old ways, and Jesus comes into your life by the Holy Spirit and you start living for Jesus. Now, why? Why does Paul die to his old self, die to his ego, And start living for Jesus. Is it just a way to try and earn God's acceptance and earn God's love? Well, of course not. It's the complete opposite. He goes on to say, The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a complete opposite. The reason why Paul dies to himself and lives for Jesus is because he's come to the realization of how much God already loves him, that God loves him so much that God was prepared to die for him. And when he comes to that realization, it motivates him, it empowers him, and it enables him to die to himself and to live for Jesus. You see, we, we, we're we not justified by good works. We're only justified by our faith in Jesus. But when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive God's love, we receive God's acceptance, we receive the Holy Spirit. And that frees us, that motivates us, and that empowers us to say, I no longer live, <laughs> but Christ lives in me. And so the, the, the way we overcome sin... <laughs> It is not by trying to follow laws, some moral code. The way we overcome sin in our life is by realizing that the most glorious person in the whole universe felt that it was worthwhile to die for me. Felt it was worthwhile to, to lose the whole universe rather than lose me. And it's the same for you. If you were the only person in the whole world, God would have come and died for you because He loves you. And His love is unconditional. There's nothing you can do to make Him love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make Him love you less. And when you come to that realization, if you allow that love to sink into you, it will radically change you. You will die to yourself. You will live for Jesus. You will say, I no longer live, but Christ Lives in me. Saint Augustine uh, was one of the great church fathers, arguably the greatest theologian in the church, second to Paul. But before he became a follower of Jesus, he was, well, he was a sex addict. And, uh, but when he became a follower of Jesus, there's a story about a time he was out on the street and, and he, he bumped into an old girlfriend of his. And she said, Augustine, how are you? And he said, I'm doing well, thank you. Good to see you. And he walked on. And there was none of the, the, the usual flirting that she remembered. And, and so she thought, perhaps he didn't recognize her. So she, she shouted, Augustine, it is I, it is I. To which Augustine replied, I know, but it's not I. And what he's saying, saying, lady, I, I care for you, but you're not my righteousness. I'm not addicted to you anymore. I don't need your arms. You see, he had he had sexual self-control, not, not because he was obeying a law, not because he was obeying a moral code, Not because he had strong willpower. No, I won't. No, no, no. No. He had sexual self-control because he found his righteousness in Jesus. He found his self-worth and his value in his relationship with Jesus. And so he was able to say, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we, we, we confess that, that we do try to seek righteousness in so many places. We try to seek wo- self-worth and value and acceptance in, in everything and anywhere but with you. And even in our relationship with you, we try to earn it and we try to work it and we try to deserve it. Father, we just want to thank you that you love us so much. You love us even though we get things wrong. It doesn't change that your, your perception of us, you love us so much that you died for us. And Father, we just stand in awe of that. And Father, we pray that that reality, that truth, would would not just be a head thing, but it would, would sink down into our hearts, that we would know how accepted we are and how, how we are righteous in your eyes because of Jesus. And Father, may that free us from all the other ways of, of, of how we try to find it. I mean, free us from our ego. Free us from... From our old way of trying to earn our acceptance. Free us to then enter in and to walk with you and to be able to say, I no longer love, but Christ lives in me. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about Abergavenny Baptist Church, please visit our website at abergavennybaptist.co.uk.